0: Uh, Let's see, we have, as everyone gathers in, we have a, this is a very unique uh, opportunity, special opportunity to hear this morning from Dr. Kleinig. He comes, he's probably been in the United States for six weeks, I bet. Six weeks, he leaves tomorrow. So we got him, uh, as he is just most acculturated. He probably, (laughs) you probably won't even recognize his Australian accent today. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Kleinig is a uh, professor emeritus, you can correct this if I get anything wrong, a professor emeritus at the Lutheran Seminary in Adelaide, Australia. Um, he has done um, all of his pastoral work uh, in Australia. He spent time in England getting his, his PhD comes from Cambridge, is this right? In, uh, in England, which was the use of song, the use of songs in... Chronicles. Is that close? Close enough. Uh, he's he special, He ta- his, he was a teacher of uh, pastoral theology, um, but uh, he he's never far from the scriptures, which is one of the great things about Doctor Kleinig. He always is bringing uh, the scriptures to bear. Uh, so much so, his attention has been captured by the Holy Scriptures that he he wrote the Concordia Commentary on Leviticus. And has finished the manuscript, it'll hopefully be out next summer, the Concordia Commentary on Hebrews. I just want to point out how, how rare that is for one person to work both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Uh, that is a rare gift. In fact, I don't know of anybody else who will be working in both uh, genres. Uh, and, and neither one would necessarily be the academic specialty in the way. And so this is a, a rarely gifted man uh, here. In fact, I think that, um, if you could, don't listen for a little bit, I think he's probably the greatest living theologian that we have now. Uh, I really do. So, um, this is a great privilege to hear from Dr. Kleinig, who will talk on spiritual, spiritual warfare. Now, we have a great advantage of the clock in the back being broken. So, just go for it. We don't have a Bronco game to get to or anything. Um, So please welcome uh, Dr. Kleinick. Give that to you. Something like this. And that can go in a pocket if you like.
1: Is it on? It's on. Thanks, Brian. As you know, don't believe anything that he ever says. Uh, Before we get started, can you all make sure that you've got Bibles? Hands up anybody who hasn't a Bible. I think there's some at the back there. Um, The passage we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 6, you got it there, 10 through to 20. Part of that we heard in church this morning. Ephesians 10. Uh, You have different Bibles to mind, so I won't uh, uh, give you the page reference. As Brian said, I've been here in the States for six weeks now, and everywhere I've gone, I've picked up the same message. Everywhere I've gone, people are feeling discouraged, fearful, anxious, and helpless, impotent, uh, not uh, feeling that something's going wrong and that they're unable to do anything about it. They look around them and they're worried about what's happening in their marriages, in their families, with children, grandchildren, in their congregations, the whole synod, uh, all the churches, And in government, you've got an election coming up that gives you a lot to be anxious about. (laughs) And the way things are going here in America and elsewhere in the West makes you and me and people like you and me worried about the future and that we feel powerless to do anything about the troubles that confront us. Well, today's passage from Ephesians tells us to be strong and gives us the reason why we can be strong and what we can do in the face of the social upheaval, the general upheaval that we face all around us. Um, Now, if the passage is, as you see up there, Ephesians 6, 10 through to 20. Now before I read this, just imagine a Roman soldier. And a Roman soldier has, uh, there were two kinds of Roman soldiers. There were those troops that went out and conquered the world for Rome and extended and established the Roman Empire. They were the, uh, 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 con- the troops who conquered territory for Rome. And then there were the peacekeepers. In fact, most Roman troops were peacekeepers. They were not the assault troops, but after the territory had been conquered, their task was to keep the peace. And the places where they were established was on the frontier of the empire. Um, If you know your geography at all, uh, present-day Iraq along the river Euphrates, uh, the Danube up north, the Rhine, down uh, Germany, and Hadrian's Wall in northern England. Have any of you been to Hadrian's Wall? Okay, you're it back there. Good, one person knows about Hadrian's Wall. Uh, up north of England. Now, they were uh, soldiers that had to keep the peace after the territory was conquered. Um, and that was not a uh, terribly glamorous task, but it was a very necessary task. Now, the picture that Paul uses of us is that all of us have been put somewhere on the frontier, and our task is to guard Christ's empire, to guard holy ground. We're not called to go and conquer the world for Christ. Why? He's already done it. Our task is not to go out fighting against evil, but to keep the peace. Christ, peace. Now, how on earth do we do that? Let's look at what Paul has to say about us as peacekeepers. Wherever you are, you're called to be a peacekeeper, to guard holy ground. That's the picture. And I want to unpack that for you in great detail. Let's read the passage. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong could also be, be kept strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, we don't fight, against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood means a human being. Flesh and blood means human beings. We don't wrestle against flesh and glo- flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, uh, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand or resist in the evil day. And having done all. To stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened a belt of truth, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation or receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That's as far as I want to go. Now, look at the context of this passage. Notice that it's finally, this is a summary passage. So so the whole of Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus sort of culminates in this practical teaching. And here he's speaking to every single Christian, uh, every single member of the congregation. Now, look at the context. Okay, the first part of Ephesians is basically doctrinal It teaches us about Jesus and what he has done, what he has accomplished. And then you get the practical application of that in the second part of the letter. Uh, First of all, Paul talks about the order in the congregation. And this culminates in his admonition that Christians are to be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's an order in the congregation... And all of us are called to fit into that order. Okay, so there's order in the congregation, and then there's order in the family. And here Paul's thinking of the extended family in the ancient world, not the nuclear family. The family, the families in the ancient world consisted not just of mum and dad and the kids, but grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunts, and grandchildren, and all the servants, slaves were members of the household. Um, if you like, modern-day equivalent is em- employees um, because all businesses in the ancient world were family businesses. So work and family are closely related. So Paul talks about order in the family, um, the relationship between wives and husbands, wonderful teaching, the relationship between children and parents, and then thirdly, between employers And employees. And then after having spoken about order in the church, order in the family, he talks about spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare with a difference, because usually when you think about warfare, you think you've got to go out and attack the enemy. Uh, You've got to attack the enemy. And the enemy is obvious. But here we have a different kind of warfare, which is not to go out and attack the enemy, but a kind of warfare in which we stand and guard holy ground. Our task is not to go out and attack the enemy out in society or wherever we see it, but your task, my task, is to guard holy ground, uh, wherever we've been placed. Let's now go through this passage and please, as I go through it, if you have any questions uh, or any comments, don't be scared to put up your hand. And even if I can't uh, understand your accent, I'm sure somebody else can. <laughs> now, I mean, if you can't understand my accent and can't understand my English, please put up your hand and I'll try and translate it into American English. <laughs> but I speak real English. <laughs> Now, to get the flow of the passage, you need to see that there are five instructions. the a big picture, first of all. Uh, first of all, Paul says to every single Christian, people who, like you and me, feel rather helpless and powerless in the face of an evil world, a world that's collapsing. And let me tell you, the world that we face is nothing compared to the evil world that early Christians faced. We have it easy compared to them. Okay? Um, in, the, uh, in the face of a world which seems to be against God and the church, uh, the first thing he tells us is to be strong. Where am I? Oh, here. But not strong in ourselves, but strong in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus. Um, okay, um, then okay, we, we, we are to be strong. Well, how can you we be strong in the face of the enemies that we uh, face? Um, we do it by borrowing God's armour. Uh, we put on the weaponry that God gives to us. So we're to put on God's armour in order not to fight, that's what I expect, but to stand strong and to Stand on guard duty, protecting others from spiritual attack. Not to fight, but to stand on sentry duty, to stand on guard duty. Did you see how in this passage, four times, Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus stand, 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 stand? You get the message? Uh, it means to stand where God has placed you. Okay? And this goes back to the previous passage here. Where do you stand? In the church and in your family and in the workplace. So the second instruction is to put on God's armour so that you can do sentry duty, guard duty. Third, you're to take up God's armour in order to withstand the attack. So not just to stand there, uh, but uh, uh, you're not to go out and fight the enemy. But when the enemy comes, what do you do? You resist the enemy. You withstand the enemy. And then uh, the last passage, or the last two admonitions, instructions, is to stand well equipped. Okay, We can stand against the enemy because we have the best armour that we could possibly have and it's all ours. Every single person has all this stuff, armour, because they received it when they were baptised. Lastly, uh, we are to receive the helmet which guards our head and the, the sword, the most important Roman weapon, uh, and we do so by praying... And we wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in prayer. Now, I'm going to come back to that and hammer that again and again and again. How do we fight against the devil and all the powers of darkness? How do you protect your marriage? How do you protect your family? How do you protect your pastor, your congregations? How do you protect America against its spiritual enemies? With Prayer. Prayer. What are you called to do at the present time more than anything else with the election coming up? Pray and pray and pray. Um, Yeah. Now, let me tell you just a bit more about uh, the Roman uh, soldiers who used to uh, guard the empire who were on guard duty. Now, let's say I was a Roman Empire. My task was to uh, be involved in peacekeeping. Okay, The, the most important time when you uh, did your guard duty, your on sentry duty, was during the night. Right? Because that's when the enemy would attack. And the Romans had three watches during the night. There was the first watch, which went from sundown to about mid-evening, about 10 o'clock. And then there was the midnight shift. And then there was the morning shift from 2 o'clock to sunrise. So uh, if I was a soldier, I'd I'd be on guard duty for one of those three shifts. Now, which do you think is the most important shift and the most difficult shift to do guard duty? Why the early morning? Because they're tired. Yeah, number one, early morning, that's from two o'clock through to six o'clock. You're tired and it's also the time when the enemy is going to attack under the cover of darkness before first light. So that's the dangerous time, the morning shift. Okay, now you've got to, uh, your task is to stand at a particular post. Now just picture it. There we are. Okay. Okay. Uh, imagine this is Hadrian's Wall up the north of England you have a guard tower here and then you have a wall there and you have another guard tower like this okay? now each soldier or each group of soldiers was put at a particular post a particular guard post Okay. let's say here this is the Clinic uh, one, so JK. Uh, this is the Brian Wolfmiller tower and this is somebody else's tower. Okay? Now, you, th- you are put at that place and that is your post. That is your station. That's where you are to do sentry duty. Okay? So imagine it's night time. You can't see a jolly thing. It's dark. And so instead of using your eyes, you need to use your ears. Uh, because you'll hear the enemy approaching, when you, even when you can't see the enemy. So it's night time, you're at your post, you're listening. Let's say now you, you uh, sense that the enemy is coming and about to attack. What are you called to do? Sound, an alarm. Sound the alarm. Okay? Now what's the temptation is that you go out, you leave your post and you go out to attack the enemy. Do you know what happened to any Roman soldier who left his post? Whether to go out to attack the enemy or whether to abandon the post when he was attacked. Do you know what would happen to him? He'd lose his head. So you were not allowed under any circumstances to abandon your post. Um, but you had to stay on guard. So, And when the enemy approaches, you sound the alarm. You don't do the fighting, but you call out the troops that are stationed back here. You sound the alarm, and the other troops come and do the fighting, and you stand here. When alone, at what time would you, what would be the only time that you would actually do any fighting? If they came at you and attacked me. And if they attacked me here, I would defend the post uh, and I would die rather than abandon the post. Uh, that was the duty of the soldier. And I'd only have one weapon. Do you know what the weapon was, that, the very famous weapon that Roman soldiers were wielded? Yes? The sword. Yeah, and do you know what kind of sword it was? It was a very short sword, only about so long, and it was a very sharp two-edged sword You could not use it at a distance. You can only use it if you're face to face with the enemy. Do you get the picture? Now, um, let's say you fell asleep. It's night time. Nothing's happening. It's very boring. And you fell asleep. And your officer came and found that you were asleep. You would lose your head. Why were the Romans so severe about falling asleep on your post? Why were they so severe with soldiers who left their post? Into where? Into a protected space, into the empire. So uh, uh, maybe the whole empire, the whole country would be lost. Why? Because one person fell asleep. One person ran away in the face of the enemy. Do you get the basic picture? You had to stand at your post no matter what. Now, as we're going through this, the question that I want you to keep in your mind is, what is my post? And how do I do guard duty at the place where God has posted me, my location? Let's now go through the passage and as we go through, I'll make some further comments. Any questions now on the picture or the basic framework? Yes, please. You're getting the picture. <laughs> You've been well taught. Yes. Okay, we uh, don't. You don't have to answer it now. Just keep it. You. No, c- okay, so at that, that, I don't right, oh, because because. Uh, in the ancient world, the teaching wasn't done in schools, but it was done in families. They did homeschooling. Okay? I think you have it here in the States, homeschooling. Uh, okay, they, they didn't have, that wasn't public institution, it was part of the family life. So, uh, say, the relationship between uh, children and parents is also between teachers and students. Uh, it might be grandmother or grandfather or uncle, somebody in the family would do the teaching So that has to do with school. Okay. The first uh, instruction that Paul gives, finally he says, be strong, how? Not in yourself. You have no strength whatsoever spiritually. Um, All your strength comes from Jesus. So you borrow your strength, your power from Jesus. Uh, So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Number two, yes? It's passive voice. Well, it's middle passive. So it has the idea of uh, receiving strength and being strengthened. So it's a medio passive if you know you're Greek. Do you do Greek? Okay, well here am I teaching a bit of Greek. Um, it's the idea of be- receiving strength or being strengthened. All None of us are strong spiritually, all of us are equally weak when it comes to confronting the devil and the powers of darkness. And we can only do that if we borrow everything from Jesus. And the first thing we borrow from Jesus is the armour of God. Now, we don't use our own weaponry, our own defences, but we borrow the armour of God. And that's the first uh, admonition there. Put on, now notice there, the whole armour. Why the whole armour? Because you can't be a good soldier if you only have a sword. Or you can't be a good soldier if you have a helmet, but don't have a breastplate, and you're barefoot. (laughs) Because you're going to step in some traps, and that'll be the end of you. You have to put on the whole armour of God if you are going to be successful in fighting the good fight, in standing on sentry duty. So put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, so who's our enemy? The devil. The devil. Do you realise that we Christians, you as a Christian, have no human enemy? Now, one of the temptations that's that you're going to be faced with is at the next election, and after this next election... Uh, many people here in the U.S. will regard whoever comes into power as enemy. And a lot of Christians will regard whoever comes into power as enemy and Satan will have them hooked and be able to manipulate them. Who is our only enemy? The devil. devil. Now, Christians so often in the past have lost a clear sense of this and have regarded some human being as as the devil. I don't No, we have no human enemy. Even the Stalins and Hitlers and Pol Pots are not our spiritual enemy. We have one enemy. Who's our one enemy? Devil. devil. But then uh, Paul says, uh, be able to stand against, not against the devil, but against the schemes of the devil. What's the idea of the schemes of the devil? He plots to turn around. He, what? He plots to turn you around. T- He plots to turn you around. Is it obvious? Have any of you seen the devil? No, I haven't. I've never seen the devil. And yet I've seen the devil because he never, he works in darkness and you never actually see his face. He works indirectly through, uh, Luther calls the devil a master of a thousand arts. He attacks us in many, many ways. And most of the time we don't even realize that he's attacking us and how he's attacking us. And if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and if we didn't have God's word, we wouldn't ever know that we were being attacked by the devil. Right? Uh, so to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, scheme has the idea of secret, uh, planning, plotting, uh, 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 something that you can't see with your eyes. Then he goes on to explain why we need the whole armour of God, not our own armour, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that's any human being, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Okay, With the devil are all the demons, all the powers of darkness. And they rule in two spheres. There are the demons or the powers that rule here in the world. Uh, uh, They are the authorities and uh, rulers and authorities. The danger here on earth is that uh, human authorities, human governments can be used by the devil to do his work. And you see it most particularly, say, in Nazi Germany. You had the head of state, Hitler, who used authority there to do his work. And there's always a danger uh, that uh, the order of society is disordered by the devil and so that the devil then uses uh, uh, the social order to attack us. You can see this happening now with the attack on life. In your own society, the devil uses what's good, which is government, to attack human life, to undermine God's order. So we have the, uh, there's the earthly uh, powers, and then there are the cosmic powers, there's the demonic powers in the heavenly realms. But the picture is that we uh, uh, are in darkness, and we're fighting in the dark against an invisible enemy. And that looks like an impossible task. Can you imagine trying to fight against an invisible enemy? Well, that's what we've confronted with. Then Paul repeats, he says, Therefore take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice that what are we to do? Is to stand on guard duty. And when the devil attacks us, Uh, however he attacks us, uh, then to withstand him, to resist him. Now, how do we resist the devil? Okay, this is about to be explained. But to stand at your post. Now, I want you to work out what is your post? Where are you called to do sentry duty? Well, let me tell you. Let me do uh, uh, an audit for you. Number one, my number one duty of spiritual care, my, the number one place where I'm called to do uh, sentry duty, to stand on guard, to stand on watch, is in my marriage. My marriage. Uh, so I'm called to defend my wife against spiritual attack. Nobody else is married to her. I'm the only man that's married to her. I'm the only one who will really see when she's being attacked. And since i'm a pastor, how's the devil most obviously going to attack me through by attacking my wife? so I need to do guard duty by oh, marriage that's number one then after that where's my second place? I have children, four children and four in-laws and ten grandchildren right now what uh what territory am I called to guard it's this territory Um, nobody else has these children nobody else has these grandchildren they are my responsibility and the responsibility of my wife I'm called to do guard duty for them you see I have a particular place that nobody else has God gives each of us a different location in our vocation and we're called to do guard duty at that location Then besides that uh, guard duty in my family, that's my marriage and family, I'm also called to do guard duty in my congregation. In my congregation. Um, Now, and that means, number one, that I need to do guard duty on behalf of who? Who's going to come most under attack? The pastor. So I'm to protect my pastor. And not just my pastor, but also, if my pastor's married, his family. right uh, And then besides pastor or pastors and their families, uh, what else do I need to keep an eye out for, to watch out for? The other leaders of the congregation. Uh, the leaders are going to come attack. You see, Satan doesn't attack this congregation by attacking fringe members. He goes for the jugular. Uh, take out the leaders and he can do what he wants with the congregation. You can see that happening all over the place. Um, and, and then thirdly, I'm called to do guard duty wherever God places me out in the world. Um, so if I have uh, my workplace, is also the place where I need to do guard duty for my workmates, but also for the boss and the people who are over me. Uh, And that then uh, varies all over the place. So that's my station. Now, the thing is that God has placed each one of you in a different location. None of you have the same location. Now, why is it that God puts each one of you in a different location in your uh, uh, vocation? What, yes. that's how you go out into the world and by means of putting each person into a different location he makes it manageable you see I can't do guard duty for the whole of the USA or the whole of Australia that's too big but I can manage to do it for the people round about me uh, and in this way God covers uh, the whole of society by putting each of us in a different place and we do guard duty in a different place and we protect a different group of people um, uh, as soldiers of Christ. Do you get the basic picture? So uh, uh, the danger is that I'll want to go somewhere else and do guard duty, say overseas, um, in New Guinea or in Asia, instead of it doing it where God has placed me. So um, uh, take on the whole armour of God that you may withstand, be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand. Now comes the uh, uh, climax. Stand then. Now having fastened on, a belt of, on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, uh, the way Paul describes this, and I can't go into the grammar, is we already have this armour. So what do we have? What did you receive at your baptism? You received the belt of truth. Uh, we could meditate a while. In what way is truth like a belt? But the bu- belt very important for your clothes, and particularly for armor, because uh, it holds everything together. Okay, the belt of truth, and then there is the what's next? Breastplate. What does the breastplate gu- guard and protect? Your vital, your vital organs. Right? Your heart, your lungs, uh, your kidneys. Uh, they're protected by the breastplate of righteousness. Christ's righteousness, which covers us, covers our heart, protects us uh, from attack. And then, thirdly, we have shoes, boots would be better. Uh, if you think of a soldier, uh, uh, Roman soldiers didn't, didn't go barefoot as most people did in the ancient world or wear sandals, but they had boots. Why boots? They can move faster and they can move across any kind of territory, kind of territory rough ground. And you can have, you know, uh, uh, just as these days you have mines to stop troops from advancing. In the ancient world, they would put spikes and stuff uh, to stop uh, soldiers from attacking, at least attacking quick, quickly. So you'd have boots that would enable you to tread on rough ground. So we have the boots of the gospel of peace. Uh, not in we have these boots, not in order to attack anybody, but we have these boots to defend the peace and thirdly, now thirdly and most importantly, we have the shield of faith. Now, what does a shield do? yep, you got the picture? yeah, and protects particularly what part does it protect? Well, not so much your head. Yes, and you can, it's movable, so you see an arrow coming, what do you do? Dong! And what does the arrow hit? The shield. Or you hear that uh, somebody throws a stone at you, and you can deflect the stone, or you can deflect the spear. So it goes into the shield, and he talks about the arrows, the flaming arrows, um, which was... A particular kind of technology. You'd put an arrow, which is a sharp arrow, and you'd put it in pitch, and uh, then you'd fire it, and it'd get stuck in you, and it would burn you to death. Terrible death. Okay. Now, uh, Paul says, most important, you've been given the shield of faith, not not just your believing, but the shield of the faith, which is the Apostles' Creed. Okay. When uh, you needn't be afraid of the devil because if the devil attacks you, you say, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's your shield. And that keeps you safe. Now, that's all the armor that you have and you received in your baptism. It's a protective armor for yourself. A lot of people are very much afraid of the devil and are scared of the devil, but we have no reason to be afraid of the devil. Why? Because we have God's armor to protect us. This is all protective. Now we come to the uh, uh, going beyond protective stuff. And take or receive the helmet of salvation or the helmet of victory and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, uh, take up the helmet. Where does the helmet go? Head. Head. Now, Roman soldiers, contrary to the pictures that you see of them, didn't wear the helmet at all times. Why not? Hmm? It'd get too hot. If you'd worn an iron helmet yesterday, uh, (laughs) uh, uh, you wouldn't be here today. And what's more... You have a helmet. What's the problem with the helmet if you have it on all the time? You can't see. So uh, most of the time, you have the helmet attached to your belt, okay. Uh, and then when uh, when you were in danger, when you were attacked, you'd take the helmet and you put the helmet over your head, and that restricts your vision. But what does it? You protect you then? Hmm? Your brain, your head, uh, your head because uh, the most vulnerable part of any human being is... the most vulnerable part of any soldier is the head. It protects your head and enables you to see uh, while being protected. So uh, Paul says, "Okay, you have all that armour, but every day what do you put on again? The helmet for the... Now, what I'd expect, you put on the helmet so that you can be ready to attack the enemy. But he says, put on the helmet of salvation which is victory already, uh, not to attack the enemy, but to defend yourself, and more importantly, to defend other people. You get the picture. To defend other people. You put on the helmet of salvation every morning. And lastly, you take up the one offensive weapon that a Roman soldier had when he did guard duty, which is the sword, and it's the sword of the Holy Spirit. Now, what would you expect Paul to say when he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, in order to do what? Hmm? Yeah, to combat the devil's temptations, which means basically to attack the devil directly. I don't know. But, uh, say, uh, so, and you quite often get preachers who say you've, uh, you've got to take up the uh, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to... Uh, basically Bible bash people how are we called to use the sword of the spirit the word of God by praying now that's the most important thing that I want you to take away from the Bible study today God gives us his word to guide us in our praying Uh, what's my prayer book? this now uh, to guide, uh, excuse me, to guide us in our prayers. Now we are very often ineffectual in dealing in helping people who are under spiritual attack because we are uh, Bible bash people. You've done it. I've done it a thousand times. And have you noticed what happens when you, uh, you know, quote Scripture, people, and you throw Bible passages at people? What happens? They turn you off. What? They turn you off. They turn you off. They stop listening, and instead of coming to church, they'll stay away from church. Instead of listening to you, they'll avoid you. Uh, It's not very effective, but we're called not in spiritual warfare. We aren't called to use the Bible in order to hit at people and to bludgeon people to belief or to teach them, instruct them, but we use to, to use the Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's inspired by God's Holy Spirit it inspires us with the holy spirit in order to combat them by praying for them now why on earth do we need the bible god's word uh, to guide us in praying for people who are under spiritual attack we're under spiritual attack too, spiritual attack too. and remember what is it can we see what's happening no, no. We can't see what's happening, so unless we hear what's happening, we won't be able to combat the schemes of the devil. So it's God's word that guides me about what to pray for when my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my pastor, my congregation is under attack. Because uh, Remember, a soldier on sentry duty uses ears, not eyes. And God's given us two ears. So you are ears to listen to what people are saying, but more importantly, listen to what God is saying to you. Uh, So it's through God's Word, by meditating on God's Word, you see what is otherwise invisible and you can't see, and you can understand what's happening, say, to your children and grandchildren, and you'll be able to understand how the devil is attacking them and that's important because then you'll know what to pr- not only who to pray for but you'll know what to pray for and how to pray so let me give you an example let's suppose that uh, your children and we'll just take that uh, stopped going to church now they've left home gone to college they stopped going to church now, what are we tempted to do? We say, we, if that happens, we know that the devil's starting to mess with them. Okay? What do we want to do usually? Chastise, Chastise them. And uh, uh, no, try and uh, twist their arms so that they'll go to church. And that's counterproductive. Um, but what will God's word show us if we listen to them, listen to what they say, but also listen to God's word? Will show us what's going on, not just in their behaviour, but what's going on in their heart and in their conscience, so that uh, we know what to pray for and what to pray against. Let's say, as what often happens, and you know, when children leave home, you don't know what the kids do, do you? And when they go to college, it's fairly scary. And these days, these days, it's quite common for young people to get all, uh, involved in uh, things that they shouldn't be involved in. Let's say drugs or sex outside of marriage. You don't know about that. Um, uh, but in order to protect them, you need to be guided by the Word of God so that you see what you need to pray for and how you need to pray for them. Now, that's very difficult. And uh, you'll, the more mature you become in the faith the more clearly you'll be able to pray for people you'll be able to read them spiritually you'll understand them spiritually not judging their behavior but seeing what lies behind their behavior and helping them by your prayers for them now you see that most clearly in your marriage you understand the person you're married to and you see this the the reasons for their behavior which lie in their hearts so uh We need to be guided by the word of God and to use the word of God to guide us in our praying. Get the basic picture? So God's word has been given to you as the one offensive weapon to attack the devil. And how do you attack the devil? By praying for yourself and other people who are under spiritual attack. And that attack comes in a thousand different ways and keeps on changing. Um, So I've noticed, for example, in my uh, family, with my children, always at some time, one or other of the members of my family under attack. If it's not me, it'll be my wife, my oldest daughter, or her husband, or her children, or uh, my oldest son, his wife, their children, or my second daughter... Her husband, their children, or my third, no, his second son, his, him, his wife, children. Um, and I need to be alert to be able to pray for them, and by praying for them being able to defend them against the evil one. Um, any questions just on that? That's fairly difficult. It's, and it's quite uh, contrary to expectations. Uh, it's not what I'd expect, Yes? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. We have enemies. There's a difference between our social or political enemies and our spiritual enemies. I'm talking spiritually. Spiritually, you have no enemy except Satan and the demons. Now that's spiritually, and of course, you have people who are your antagonists who don't like you, who attack you. And that's part of being a Christian, is that you accumulate lots of uh, those uh, enemies. (laughs) And sometimes in your own congregation, sadly. Now, Now, what's important then, if we are going to do sentry duty by interceding, by praying for the people that God has placed in our lives, we need to stay awake. Just listen to what Paul says. To that end, that's praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, um, where am I? Uh, Keep alert, or keep awake is probably a better translation, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We guard holy ground. We protect the saints, and to do that, we need to stay awake. Now, what do you think Paul's talking about when he says "stay awake"? Yeah, how does that happen spiritually? Yep. By praying. But yes, just I just stop there. By praying. Uh, a sleeping Christian is a Christian who has faith but doesn't pray. One of the commonest names for a Christian. A Christian name in the early church was Gregory. Do we have any Gregories here? Well, no, it used to be very common. A Gregory Gregory means a person who is spiritually awake, not asleep. What will the devil want to do? Um, if he can't destroy your faith, he'll get your get your faith to sleep. He will stop you praying, or if you uh, he can't stop you praying at all. Uh, you know, he'll get you to pray for yourself but not for anybody else. A praying Christian is a wakeful Christian. And so we stay awake and what does that mean in practical terms? That every day I begin and end every day in prayer for myself, sure, but my the people that God places in my care. The members of my family, do that every day, wife, children. And then at least once a week I pray for congregation and the other people that God puts around me in my station and vocation. I pray for them and I look at what's happening in their lives uh, not in order to judge them but to discover what to pray for. So let's... Go uh, so let, let, let let me just make it as concrete as I can. Okay, come to the end of today. Ask the question, who has God placed in your life today? Who have you intersected with? And if God has placed somebody in your life, it means that God wants you to do what? Pray. If you hear some gossip about somebody, why has God allowed you to hear that gossip? So you can pray for them. So you pray for them. If you discover that somebody is sinning, uh. Why have you discovered that? To pray for God to have mercy on them and forgive them. If you hear that somebody, if you notice today that somebody wasn't in church who's regularly here, why has God allowed you to see that? So you can pray for them. You You get the basic picture? So uh, the way we do sentry duty is by intercessory prayer guided by the word of God, guided by God's Holy Spirit through his word, the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes so that we see in the darkness, we see what no human eyes can see, uh, uh, so that we discover who to pray for and how to pray for them. Now, that applies to all of us. So, um, just as a a kind of an exercise this week, um, whenever you can, just... Uh, at the end of the day, go back over your day and ask the question, which question? Yeah, and, and how do you know who to pray for? Where God has put you to see something about them. Jesus tells the story of an unexpected visitor who comes. Uh, who are the people that God puts across your path day by day? Uh, you hear lots of things, you see lots of things, but to look not uh, in a way that you are uh, just, uh, in a sense, a nosy parker wanting to find out what's in other people's lives <laughs> to keep them under surveillance. Um, but you know, all of us are, are insatiably curious, and we have a uh, nose for evil. Have you noticed how we like scandals and gossip? I don't, we love that. Uh, And we hear lots of good things, and we hear lots of bad things. If you hear something good about somebody, why has the Holy Spirit allowed you to hear something good about that person? So you can rejoice. And how do you rejoice? By praying for them. And strangely, by praying for them, you get the devil off their backs. If you hear that somebody's having trouble, what's the Holy Spirit telling you? Pray. Pray for them, and you get the devil off their backs. If you hear somebody's sinning, what do you do? Pray for them. That way you get the devil off their backs. You're getting the basic picture? Uh, and hence Paul says, notice his extravagant language. He says, praying at all times. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, at all times without ceasing, but on every occasion, every day, let's say, praying every day in the Spirit with what kind of prayer? With all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping awake with all perseverance. What does perseverance mean? That you do it. To, if the problem is that you're going to go home today, and you'll do it today, and you'll forget about to doing it tomorrow, you're called to do sentry duty when every day of your life. Um, that's your vocation. That's the common vocation that we as Christians have to do sentry duty every day of our lives. Uh, and who are you to do sentry duty for? Paul says, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now who are all the saints? All Christians, the church. So your basic focus uh, is not primarily, first of all, out there in the world, but all the people of God. Uh, It means your marriage, your family, your church, your synod, Um, uh, fellow Christians Um, and he says and also for me as Christians as members of this congregation what's your number one call in doing sentry duty I would expect to say okay, my number one duty is to do sentry duty for my wife but Paul says especially for me. he's the pastor he's a missionary who are you all called to pray for your pastors um, and by doing that you protect your pastors their families their wives uh, 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 their work and you protect the congregation from the evil one and you get the devil out of the congregation because what does the devil always want to do He wants to tear apart the congregation and the basic point of attack is going to be at the head of the congregation. Now time's nearly up. I don't don't want to go beyond 12 o'clock. I open it now for any further ideas or questions. Yes. Just can you talk a bit louder? I, I, I need the word of God because I'm getting deaf. And the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, it doesn't amplify your voice. In uh, relation to the sword of the Spirit using the word of God. And yes. You the word of God in prayer. Yes. In prayer. But we also are called to also explain the gospel and to share the word. Yes. So at what point or where do we draw the line between the Bible batching yes. and simply sharing the word? Um it's uh, uh Now, Paul's not talking about that. He doesn't talk about everything all at once. Um, unlike some us pastors who give you the whole deal dunk dump truck on you um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, but that's another whole story uh, and the Bible talks a lot about that but it's interesting that it doesn't talk half as much about that as about praying um, and my hunch, no not my hunch, my experience is that when you get people starting to pray what happens? When they look around their lives, in a sense they, they see their lives with the eyes of Jesus and what Jesus always wants to do to each one of us is to show us what we, who we need to pray for and how we need to pray for. What the Holy Spirit does is opens our eyes, our ears so that we see the people that need our prayers and what kind of prayers. What will happen when we start doing that? What you're talking about comes almost... Yes. No, you won't have to make the conversations. The conversations will make themselves. Isn't it funny that once you start praying for a person, then all sorts of things start happening in your relationship with that person. Have you noticed? You've noticed that, have you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's so many thing, good things that happen, and opportunities come for sharing with that person. It's interesting how Luther puts it in the last, large part, of, last part of the Catechism, where he talks about... Uh, our location, our station, in the three orders of church, family, and society. Do you know how he ends that? He quotes two passages. That what? What's our common vocation? You know, I'm a pastor. You might be a a teacher, you might be a housewife, different vocations. But what's the common vocation that we all have as Christians? Okay, it's two sides to it. The, uh, it's, to everyone, this is the heading in the catechism, the commandments are summed up in this one, love your neighbour as the self. So what's our common call, our common vocation? is to love your neighbour. That's the people that God places in your life with their needs. You are to love them. But then, lastly, more importantly than that, he adds, I urge that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Uh, There's two sides. We bring God's love from church out into the world. And when you start bringing God's love from the church into the world, then all sorts of opportunities come for you to bear witness to it. And you don't very often have to do it by your mouth because your whole life will be a witness to him. Um, and, then, then, and it means that when we're out in the world bringing God's love to people, then uh, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes through the word of God so that we know what to pray for and we can bring people and their needs to God. So, God establishes this rhythm in your life. And it's interesting how he does it. Uh, you come to church, how often? One or two times during the week. And how, often, how much of your time are you out in the world? Say, six or five days. Literally, six or almost seven days, most of your time is out in the world. You, when you go to church, you don't just go to church for yourself, but you go to church for the people that God's placed in your life. You bring them to church with you when you pray for them. And when you leave church, you carry Jesus out into the world. You bring Jesus to people. Your body is the temple of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You bring the blessings of God, the love of God to people you need. So that's the basic rhythm of your Christian life. You bring people into God's presence and you bring God to the people that God has placed in your life, the people for whom you have the duty of spiritual care. Any other questions or remarks? Let's close with a short prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, be thy name, thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, come. thy will be be done on earth as it it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Do you realize that each one of those petitions is you pray against the devil? Every one of those is against the devil. And the last two are particularly so. Deliver us from evil, which could also be translated, and probably better translated, as deliver us from the evil one, from the devil. Um, That's our daily prayer.
0: Would you give us a blessing? Yes. I I to ask Dr. Klein if you give us a blessing, uh, and then I'll say a couple of things, and then we'll be off.
1: The peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds from Satan and all the powers of darkness through Jesus Christ, now and always. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Again. I'm sure that if you have questions or things that uh, you'd like to ask or talk to Dr. he'll he'll uh, hang around. I know that because... I'm taking him with me, so we, I won't leave. I can't escape. Uh, uh, and uh, and to thank him for being here, it's a it's a wonderful blessing. Uh, next week we're gonna have a we're gonna do.